Okay, uh, I'm going to speak um, uh, for about half an hour about uh, some of my experiences uh, in China, uh, the Far East, over the last 12 years. Uh, I was uh, director at Farrell's uh, in London for 10 years and then for the last two and a half years or so in, in uh, Hong Kong, working mainly on the mainland. Um, and then in the beginning of the year, uh, I've set up my own consultancy and I'm continuing to advise clients uh, on uh, working in uh, various parts uh, of the Far East. Whoops, okay. <clears throat> so I think um, I was particularly fortunate at Farrell's to get involved in some of the strategic projects uh, that the practice was involved in. So. Uh, that included work for um, uh, government, for uh, metropolitan government, for uh, the various partnership organizations, which uh, I gather have been largely dismantled in the last two years or so. Um, and I think, I think the, the idea uh, of leadership is actually quite uh, important to understand because, uh, unlike in the UK, where the private sector decides what's going to happen next and the government acts as some kind of referee, in China, uh, all parts of China, um, uh, in fact, all parts of the Far East, whatever the economic system, uh, government's in charge and government's leads. And uh, uh, it determines largely what happens, certainly uh, at the more significant scales. So, so the work I did on uh, Thames Gateway, for instance, here uh, for the GLA was incredibly useful preparation because, because planning is still a big deal in that part of the world. Uh, and in fact, as a planner, uh, you have far more status. If you're a planner or an academic, that's an incredibly good start in trying to secure work in China because you have far more status than a mere architect or engineer. It's really quite an odd inversion. Um, and and uh, <laughs> it was quite a struggle to replace me uh, in the office when I left because the guys refused to accept that an architect could take the work on, which is, of course, not true. Um, so that was incredibly useful, having the strategic experience. Um, and, and Jaya was speaking about this two-way uh, 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 transfer of knowledge. I think there's no question that the experiences that uh, Farrells have had over the last 20 years have been incredibly useful in, uh, in, in pursuing and conceptualizing and strategizing uh, on major projects in the UK. So, for instance, uh, the last big project I was involved in here before I uh, settled for, for uh, Hong Kong and uh, Shanghai uh, was the Earl's Court project, and, it, and, and the fact that the practice had all that uh, years and years of experience with railways and big infrastructure, with tunnels and bridges and so on, uh, I think there's no question uh, that, that ex we were able to communicate an expertise. Uh, and we, the, the, the thing we kept uh, saying at the interview was, look guys, this is big infrastructure, there's uh, underground lines, there's light rail, there's heavy rail. This is, not a, this is not a job for amateurs. You can't just deck the whole thing over at the cost of 120 million quid. It requires a, a very kind of creative response to the, 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 cons, the constraints that underlie that site. And I think um, that's largely, <coughs> that played a huge role in securing that work, being able to demonstrate an ability to deal with big infrastructure, uh, to urbanize it, to come up with strategies that allow you to phase development, <coughs> to <coughs> to come up with strategies that allow uh, a development to respond flexibly over time to changes which nobody can predict. Um, that's, that, that China experience has been really, really invaluable. Uh, and my, my journey started in, uh, in Hong Kong, and of course it's got this glamorous harbor uh, with glamorous towers. I think it's got the largest 
number of buildings over 200 meters in the world, though I suspect uh, that will be overtaken uh, in the very near future by either Shanghai or, or Shenzhen just across the border. Um, but, but it's so much more than that, uh, that, uh, that harbor. It's actually, a, 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 it's, it's actually um, uh, <coughs> sits in this wonderful uh, South China Sea landscape of islands and mountains and sea. And uh, uh, it's really interesting to reflect that a city that has a reputation for this intensive urbanism is actually 70% of it is nature. That's the land. Uh, let's forget about the sea for the moment. 70% of the land is nature. 60% of the territory's jurisdiction is uh, the equivalent of what is national park. So uh, what's really quite interesting is that it's an urbanism that has responded to, uh, uh, in a very particular way, to, to, to its environment. And uh, for those of you who know Hong Kong, that's uh, Causeway Bay on a Sunday afternoon. That's uh, the run between Times Square and uh, Causeway Bay Station, which is like a football crowd for most of the time. Um, uh, uh, and uh, this is a uh, $60 taxi ride away uh, from Causeway Bay. That's uh, on top of the island looking across uh, what we would call Aberdeen Country Park. It obviously has a Cantonese name, uh, south towards Up Lai Chow. Uh, and the fact is that uh, a city of this density offers incredible uh, quality of life for, for people from all kinds of uh, social backgrounds uh, and means. So, and $60, by the way, is a fiver. I think it's a bit more than that because the, the pound has dropped over the last uh, week or so. Um, so, so that urbanism isn't just about the city, it's about what, how the city sits in that broader landscape. And, and the city has always been shaped by this wonderful, I love the um, uh, maritime chart from the 19th century on the right hand side which shows this very challenging topography. Um, and the image uh, looking across uh, towards uh, the island from Kowloon. Uh, so it's obviously this wonderful maritime city, so it's been shaped by by the fact that it's an international port, but it's also been shaped by the big events uh, of the 20th century, particularly the mid-20th century, when a lot of uh, refugees came over from uh, Guangdong province uh, during the uh, first revolution um, <coughs> to settle in, uh, in these informal settlements in the Northern New Territories. Um, and government responded as it did by by, by creating, by turning itself into the world's largest landlord. And that's not something one normally associates with Hong Kong. Hong Kong is seen as this sort of, um, at the outer edges of the free market system. Uh, but in fact, you know, it's a sort of shipping and finance and so on, but it's the world's largest landlord. Um, so it's about two and a half million uh, people live in government housing and further percentage live in uh, what we would call affordable housing, which is housing supported by the state in some way. Um, and it's interesting, I, don't, I think this is a colonial legacy, they, they named the various sort of iterations of the council house, if I may put it that crudely, in sort of very military terms. So you get Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3, Mark 4, Mark 5. And it's interesting uh, issues, I think, for uh, organizations like Brian, the way in which government continually tries to update its standards for this housing, its environmental standards, its space standards, and so on. Um, so, so you have these uh, huge housing estates, they, uh, they, they, I don't know if they'd work in, uh, in London, but they're incredibly popular, supported by all social classes. Some of them are modernist masterpieces, in my opinion. Uh, if you don't like concrete, don't go anywhere near the Far East, because there's a lot of it. Um, but, but, but a great, uh, incredible achievement. And I think, and I think, um, and, and so government does tend to lead from the front. So this is just an extract from a slideshow uh, I was given by 
the Development Bureau in Hong Kong, and it's just quite incredible to see how they plan for the future. So I went to this sort of jaw, this jaw-dropping presentation where they say, okay, this is what we've done in the last 10 years, this is what we've done in the last five years, this is what's on the books now, this is what's going to happen in five years' time, this is what's going to happen in 10 years' time. And you contrast that with uh, uh, the Western European or the UK model where uh, instead of making decisions, government appoints commissions uh, and people tell it what they want and then out of that stew, you kind of either you do or don't get decisions about uh, what's going to happen. It's a very different system. I think it requires a particular mindset from consultants working there. You do need to understand, and not always obvious, who is your real client or who your client is answerable to. Those are actually quite key questions to get to grips with uh, at the outset of the process. Um, interestingly, some of the greatest urban achievements in Hong Kong, though, are products of collaboration between government and the private sector. So these are extracts from this wonderful book that uh, Hong Kong University published about six months ago uh, called Cities Without Ground, and it describes the three-dimensional nature uh, of Hong Kong's urbanism, in particular its movement systems. So you can get this at the AA bookshop, by the way, um, but it's well, it's well worth a read. Uh, and, and the diagram on the right shows, shows that uh, network in, uh, in central on Hong Kong Island and, and TST in Kowloon. It's incredibly uh, uh, I think effective and uh, 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 special movement system that copes with these huge densities and uh, and um, and it creates whole different kinds of uh, kinds of uh, public realm. This is actually a, the government government part of the network. This is the mid levels escalator going up the mountain. Uh, uh, really, an indispensable uh, uh, adjunct to the pedestrian movement system, given the, the steep uh, terrain. Um, uh, and it's interesting uh, to reflect that at certain densities, these three-dimensional networks actually don't detract from the, uh, the, the wonderful urbanism. People often say, oh, there's no kind of public realm in places like Hong Kong uh, and other Asian cities. But in fact, some of the best streets are to be found uh, in Chinese cities. Uh, perhaps not the sort of best squares or the best this and the best gardens and so on. But you get these wonderful streets, and, and that's Pottinger Street, um, just near the mid-level escalator uh, in Central. And, and that's again another a wonderful diagram from, from uh, the guys at University of Hong Kong showing uh, the tunnels, the at-grade uh, connections, the, the overhead connections. Uh, and it does give you a different kind of public realm. So uh, on the image on the left is the IFC, the very glamorous shopping center by I think it says our Pelly, he certainly designed the towers above it. Um, <clears throat> and those have actually become uh, cultural spaces and exhibition spaces, uh, as well as, uh, as uh, places uh, that form part of a retail plan. Uh, and on the right is a exhibition uh, last year by uh, Roger Stirk Harbour, and they don't even have an office in Hong Kong, but you do get these interesting uh, cultural events happening in in, in this three-dimensional environment, and it's, and, it's a, and it's an interesting inversion of what's happening here, where you get the South Bank, which is becoming uh, more commercial, and in fact, so the South Bank is becoming a work environment. I'm an independent consultant. I use the South Bank as part of my workspace. So, so interestingly, you know, um, it's interesting how these, uh, these, these uh, spaces work. The other thing that makes uh, the city apart, and, and I started with Hong Kong, because in many ways, uh, other Chinese cities look at Hong Kong as kind of what uh, China might be in the future. 
Um, this is what one might call infrastructure-intensive uh, uh, urbanism. Uh, the, the detractors of this model call it an NTR fortress. <laughs> But I think uh, at a certain scale that this development, which is on, on Victoria Harbour, has so many ingredients. It's got, uh, it's got cultural uh, uh, assets, it's got sporting environments, um, it's got uh, medical things in it, it's uh, got uh, education, it's got the usual uh, offices and uh, six-star, whatever that is, hotels. Uh, and people live there, and unlike in the UK, uh, living on top of infrastructure attracts a huge premium. So these are extremely high-value apartments, which neither, none of us can afford. Uh, and the values there are easily uh, what the high, very highest values in, in, in London would be. Um, and that's uh, some wonderful drawings from the guys at Farrell's showing how that's all put together. Uh, as a, as a, as a three-dimensional piece based on uh, various kinds of infrastructure. Uh, and interestingly, um, originally the whole model for West Kowloon was these uh, uh, podia connected by underground and overground links so at uh, 20 metres up above ground. And uh, uh, I think the attitude has changed somewhat. Interestingly, in response to public opinion, and I think wherever you work in China, you have to be uh, aware of what people think, uh, particularly of significant major developments, um, certainly in Hong Kong, but I think increasingly in places like Shanghai uh, and Beijing, the first tier cities, uh, 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 government does carefully listen uh, when it comes up against opposition. I think it has no choice. Um, and certainly in Hong Kong, uh, the idea that the harbour, Victoria Harbour, gets occupied by very large scale development uh, has uh, gone out of public favour and it's very much about uh, public access uh, along the water's edge. This, these images are from uh, 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 <coughs> the submission we put together while I was at Farrell's in 2008 for the uh, West Kowloon Cultural District and it's very much about uh, accessibility uh, to Victoria Harbour. Uh, that's a uh, section from Foster and Partners, uh, the guys who won. Uh, an interna invited international competition, uh, and uh, a lot of, they've got some criticism uh, from people who say, "Oh, it's quite a boring master plan. You know, it's just all like these. Uh, uh, it's kind of uh, a sort of a reinterpretation of uh, urban development in Tsum Cha Toy in Kowloon." But I think it's actually an incredibly uh, effective response, and uh, they haven't drawn all the basements, but it's a it's an interpretation of that infrastructure. Uh, intensive uh, approach to development. Um, and uh, that's the development plan which I was again involved in uh, as, as consultants to uh, McDonald. So Foster's concept plan has been engineered, if you like, as something which can be uh, uh, developed out over, over quite, quite some time. I think the overall development program is about 20 years for this uh, district. Uh, it's interesting that that density allows um, uh, uh, older sort of lifestyle practices to survive. And this is, uh, this is Lanfao Shan uh, uh, on Shenzhen Bay on the Hong Kong side, uh, Northern New Territories, a uh, fishing village uh, which continues to thrive uh, in that 75% uh, of Hong Kong that isn't developed. Um, and and uh, that village continues uh, much as it has it done for the last 150 years. I mean, there's a very fine uh, Michelin star restaurant there now. Um, they 
They do oysters from Shenzhen Bay, which I've tried and I'm still here. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting if you look back uh, from Shenzhen. This is an image from Shenzhen. I'm sorry I took it with an old iPod, so it's a bit grainy. But uh, on the Hong Kong side, you still have the paddy fields and these wonderful uh, mountain and rural landscapes uh, uh, right next to uh, this huge city. Uh, that image is Shenzhen's in, is Shenzhen in uh, 1980, for, and for any of you who've been there, uh, that's quite a statement about the speed of development and the level of ambition and the will to make something happen. Um, that's Shenzhen again uh, in 1980, sort of the sleepy uh, southern, south Guangdong, uh, Pearl River Delta town. Uh, that was the main square. Um, the most staggering image, uh, thing about this image is there's no cars there. Um, I think it would be very hard to take a photograph anywhere in Shenzhen that doesn't have a car appearing in it now. Um, and it was all down to, it was like an experiment really by Deng Xiaoping, apologies for the, uh, for the um, pronunciation, to actually create a new kind of city uh, right next to Hong Kong. Uh, and this. Uh, was a competition that I led at Farrell's. It was almost the first thing I did in China, which is for a new settlement uh, in Shenzhen uh, on the, at the western <laughs> extremity. And the idea here was that uh, this would be like a new sort of high-quality uh, development on the edge. Um, and uh, we were helped by the engineers who brought you Cheplapcock Airport to look at all the hydrodynamics and so on. Um, and uh, in competition with people like Jody, uh, an American practice, and DCM uh, from Australasia, who used to be very big uh, out there, um, we came up with this, this sort of urban strategy uh, for this settlement. It was actually just a reclamation project, but we thought, why not uh, detach it and create an island? Um, and the following sequence, we've all done this, look through our Google Earth uh, history tab. But the following sequence shows you what actually happened. So this is when uh, Deng Xiaoping made the announcement about Shenzhen. Um, that's uh, in 1990, quite a lot of urban uh, development in the central area. This is when, in 2000, when we did the competition. So at this stage, uh, Shenzhen is the size of London population-wise, seven and a half million. Um, that's only 10 years ago, and look at that. That's now. So where our little island was, has become a container port in this huge industrial area. And that's probably the right thing to have happened because it's on the industrial side of Shenzhen. Uh, and the lesson there, I suppose, is one, that the urban revolution is taking place now as we speak. Uh, uh, and secondly, sometimes you get asked to do things as uh, government actually tests policy and ideas by inviting international consultants to come up, for pro uh, come up with propositions for, for sites. Um, and, and that's it today. Uh, and in fact, I took this photograph um, last year and they've, they've put in this huge expressway going north to the airport since, uh, since that Google Earth image was made. Um, I think it's a testimony, the images on the right are a testimony to, <laughs> testimony to the endurability of uh, life forms on the planet, because uh, you still have that kind of thing happening uh, amongst the container cranes. Um, and actually, there's still some more wildlife left uh, bottom right. Um, so Shenzhen's a place of huge uh, revolutionary uh, rapid growth, uh, but it's also a place of opportunity. And I think um, what, what, we, what I found uh, over the years is that sometimes the development model is something you'll never have come across before. Um, 
This is the site of K100, which is a major feral mixed-use development with a tall tower on it in, in central Shenzhen, Kaukauwei uh, village. Um, and what the developer did was he formed a... Well, it wasn't him. It was him in collaboration with so-called villages. Um, on the right-hand side is what's, what's described as a Shenzhen village. Very densely packed, six to eight-story villas and apartment buildings. The developer actually got everybody bar one, the guy in the middle, to form a company and they approached government uh, to say, uh, the, the guy, he said to the, the community, he said, look, I want to put in this sort of big retail mall and big towers and all that kind of thing in this location. Um, if we come up with an idea and present it to government, let's see where it goes. And in fact, this, uh, this guy who was an inexperienced, he wasn't a developer, a construction guy, uh, managed to persuade government that it was the right thing to do. And I think it's extraordinary um, uh, achievement uh, on the social side as well as on the development side. And I can't imagine that happening in London um, or anywhere in Western Europe. So things are different. These are the images the Farrells guys show everybody, you know, nice shiny tower, quite elegant, <coughs> very popular in China. Um, and Shenzhen itself, uh, but the, I think the real, the real uh, achievement is in the urban design. You have a very high density development. I think the floor area ratio is about 12, which is about four or five times what it is in central London, the West End. Um, uh, but it actually sits very comfortably in its surroundings, and a lot of that is to do with the clever retail planning and the way in which shopping malls can be successful urban entities. I mean, I was showing some guys from uh, China around. Uh, London four or five weeks ago, and they just laughed when they saw Stratford. They said, like, where's everything? <laughs> you know, oh, there's a shopping centre over the bridge over there. It's just like a model, I think, that we can learn from, not apply directly. But there are ingredients uh, that are applicable here uh, in the UK. So the top image is the shiny rendering from the Farrells guys. Uh, uh, the bottom images are some of my pictures of the surrounding streets with the inevitable Starbucks umbrellas on the left-hand side. Um, but it's actually quite successful urbanism uh, and it coexists with its surroundings, it doesn't oppress um, and a lot of that is to do with how, how the podium is designed and how the mall has been configured. What's quite interesting in China is a lot of the shops, it doesn't tend to happen in the UK, a lot of the shops face the street, uh, particularly the high-end brands because their customers do not want to go up escalators, they want to pull up outside, go into the Burberry shop or whatever it might be and get picked up and disappear. So they do not want to go into that maze. And it's actually quite interesting from an urban point of view because you do have double-sided shops in, in shopping malls. <coughs>